Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to episode 11 of season 2 of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Today's topic of conversation is the last track from You're Gonna Get It, Baby's a Rock and Roller. As always, if you want to listen to the song before we start the episode, check out the link in the episode notes, and I'll see you when you get back. Which it seems you are. Alrighty then, let's begin. Baby's a Rock and Roller is one of two songs on the second album co-written by Tom and Mike Campbell. Mike's songwriting contributions usually took the form of him bringing or sending over the music or the riffs and the chord progressions to Tom and Tom writing the lyrics for those tracks. You definitely get that sense from this song uh, that it follows that form as the main refrain is built on that simple five-note guitar progression with Tom's vocal over top of it. In Conversations with Tom Petty, Tom tells Paul Zolo that the song is basically the band following up on anything that's rock and roll. After Paul says that rock and roll, that phrase rock and roll um, appears again after it did on the, on the first album. The song opens with a, a reverb-saturated pick slide that echoes off into the intro as the drums, bass and piano come in immediately, with the lead guitar coming in after four bars and picking up the main lick after a further four bars after another dramatic pick slide. Um, and from there, the song proceeds along fairly similar and familiar rock and roll lines. Vocally, we get the chorus first, then a verse, then another chorus, then the solo, then a verse, and then a final chorus. So it's a slightly alternative format to the more usual verse-chorus-verse-chorus structure. Um, and I think that's because the song really hangs on that high vocal line on My Baby is a Rock and Roller, and that's where the heart of the song is. So it makes sense to start with it and make that the central hook for the song. Stan Lynch probably doesn't remember playing this track because he's literally playing the exact same one, two, three, and four pattern the entire way through the song. He adds in a few more snare hits during the outro on each count of the bar, but for the most part, this drum part could have basically been looped after eight or 16 bars, really. Um, the hat pattern is simple but effective and just alternates between a, a heavier on-beat strike with an incidental note on the off-beat. The hat is slightly open to just give it that slight sound rather than a flat tick tick that you would get if it was closed. And I thought at first actually that he was playing the on beat notes, that ch with his foot, and then the off sort of ta beats with the stick, if that makes sense. But after listening a little more, I think that's most likely wrong. I think he is just playing it with the with the stick. There were also some hand claps sprinkled throughout the track that add a little rhythmic colour, but all in all, this is pretty much the least amount of work Stan does drum-wise on the entire album. He's just keeping time and keeping that beat moving reliably along. Ron's bass part starts off really high up the neck, probably on the bottom string at maybe the, like the second highest position. He sits in that position for the first four bars before dropping back into the more usual bottom end. And throughout those opening eight bars, he's playing the same main five-note lick with Mike uh, that will form the basis for the rest of the song. And similarly to Stan, Ron in this song is playing very little and staying completely in the background. Um, it's a stark contrast to the preceding track on side two, Restless, which was very much rhythm section driven. This song absolutely isn't. And the guitar is, again, fairly simple and restrained with that single five-note refrain repeating throughout the entire song, other than in the bridge and the end of the chorus where we change from B-flat to F for the that's all she ever wants to be line. You know, and it's, it's quite a trick to write a song that's basically one chord for the majority of the time. Um, we do get those slides on the guitar in the second four bars of the intro and a few little incidental licks from Mike after the verse heading back into the chorus. 
We also get some more guitar licks over the final chorus with some heavy tremolo. Um, and the guitar fills in the outro also come in on different channels. So we get a, that's a little bit more interesting. You know, we start off in the right channel before switching over to the left. Um, Mike's solo in this one is, it's again, it's, it's channeling his inner Chuck Berry um, with those repeated bends, but he's also reefing on his whammy bar to produce a, a heavy tremolo that really reminds me, I don't know if there's any Deep Purple fans out there, it reminds me of Richie Blackmore's sort of tone and the way he played the solo on uh, their 1974 rocker, Burn. So give that one a listen, and then listen to the, so listen to the tr- tremolo on that song, and listen to the tremolo on this one, and there's definitely a, like a similarity there, I think. Benmont's keyboard part is mixed brutally low in this track, other than in a few places. And as I said, you hear that piano during the intro, and then you can hear it fairly faintly during the first chorus, barely during the verse. It's just about there, um, and it's just sticking on that B-flat. And then again, you hear it a little more clearly in the bridge. But it's also a very rhythmic piano part rather than being an overly melodic one. Um, And again, like Stan's part, it's something that Ben would have been able to play half drunk, half stoned, and half asleep. Very, very simple. One thing I'd love to know about this song is what that background noise is. There's definitely something like a a wind noise or an engine noise, or maybe it's just something that's being run through a, a big reverb effect or something like that. Could be Bike's pick slide that's just sort of being captured and looped, or whatever the heck it is, it really adds a sort of a nervously energetic noise to the entire song. And I don't know how much I dig it, to be honest, and I wonder what the song might have sounded like without its continual presence. And I also think that the sonic space that it sits in is it's, maybe it's partially why you can't hear Ben Mont's piano as clearly, um, but it's obviously a deliberate decision that was made. So with a really straightforward rhythm section and the guitars also keeping things pretty simple, where does the movement and the energy of this song come from? The simple answer, Tom's vocals. There's just something about that chorus and those high double track vocals especially that just sound so great. It's also cool that Tom isn't belting those notes or putting a significant rasp into his voice, but rather singing them really clean. So we have those, my baby is a rock and roller. That's double tracked, by which I mean it's sung the same way twice. And then, and that's all she ever wants to be, is single tracked. So it just adds such a great dynamic. Um, We then get Tom growling and purring his way through the verses in a somewhat, Elvis-esque way, I think. Um, And we also get uh, My Baby coming in over top of the verse, bringing us back into that central refrain. So we're sort of multi-layering those vocals. And, you know, obviously that would have made this difficult to sing live because probably Stan and maybe Mike would have had to sing My Baby as Tom was finishing the verses. Okay, it's time once again, my friends, for some petty trivia, where I ask you questions that range from lyrical to musical to historical to the downright incidental. Last week's question was this. From the 16 Heartbreakers and solo records, how many song titles contain a man's name and can you name them? So there are five songs which fit the bill, and they are the well-loved Spike from the Southern Accents album, Billy the Kid from Echo, Joe, of course, from The Last DJ, Jack from Highway Companion, and Jefferson, the main character from Mojo's lead-off track, Jefferson Jericho Blues, which features a sensational harmonica part from Scott Thurston. How many did you get? Let me know in the comments. 
I did see on social media there was one person who got all five, um, and then there were a few people who got one or two. I think almost everyone knew Spike, and then quite a few people knew Joe from the last DJ, and I think one or two people got Jack, but not many people got Billy the Kid or Jefferson Jericho Blues. Um, Anyway, your question for this week is as follows. What was the name of Tom Petty's character on the animated series King of the Hill? Okay, back to the song. Um, The lyrics to this track are pretty much as simple as you can get. The first three lines of each verse really can be sung in any order and just set up all the things that my baby isn't interested in because, hey, she's a rock and roller, as we know, Um, and that's all she ever wants to be. There's also the repeated use of the word rhythm in the fourth line of each verse, which ties them together a little, you know, that sort of gives it a little bit more uh, cohesion. Uh, And talking to Paul Zolo about the song, Tom says, Bugs and I were talking about that song the other day. I always had it in my head that I didn't like the song, that it was just this cheap throwaway, but it sounded so good when I heard it. And you can absolutely see where he's coming from. It's not a sophisticated lyric or a sophisticated arrangement, but man, there's just something about the key it's in and the way that central line comes through and grabs you and makes you tap your foot um, and makes you want to sing along with it. And it's the type of song that you could play during a gig when you're doing band intros, maybe. That sort of, you know, that main five-note refrain could just be kept going easily for four or five or six minutes while Tom introduces the rest of the fellas on stage. Um, It's another song that I could only find one instance of being played live. And to finish Tom's thoughts on the song, he says, it's not a song I would sing now, but pretty indicative of how we were back then. And you definitely get that sense again of youthful exuberance with no particularly deep message. But man, you can definitely rock out to it. In that way, it's somewhat like its spiritual brother, anything that's rock and roll, without having the same lyrical quality to it, I think. One complaint I have about the song, and it's not actually really a criticism of the song itself, but like Magnolia, it's more to do with the production. Again, the drums are mixed really flat and fairly quiet. The kick drum doesn't really kick and the snare doesn't crack. Add in that continual background noise, and I find that it... It tends to sort of wash out the song a little and it doesn't have quite the same punch that it could have. It would be interesting to see if there was an alternate take that never made it to any of the anthology releases that had a bit more punch. Because this one's just really trebly and it's just kind of muddy to my ear. Apart from, again, apart from the vocals, when the vocals shine out, the, the instrumentation itself just, it's a, it's, it's a little bit muddled, I think. Okay, in the words of Bugs Bunny, that's all, folks. Um, we've reached the end of another album already. I'm going to give Babies a Rock and Roller an affectionate 5 out of 10. Like Restless, it has the feel of a song that wasn't necessarily given sort of the full production time or treatment, um, you know, and certainly not as much as the strong attraction of the album. But that refrain is still really gripping and fun. Who doesn't love singing that line? My baby! Just, it's just so much fun to sing. But, you know, it still has a fairly generic 70s rock feel to it, and it doesn't really stack up against the best the band could produce. On the day this episode is released, which is February 2nd, 2022, I will be speaking in the afternoon to the wonderful Gwen Jones, um, Tom Petty fan and admin of the Tom Petty Fans Forever Facebook group. I know there are lots of Tom Petty groups on social media and everyone should be a member of Tom Petty Nation, but Gwen's group is such a warm, family feel type community that I genuinely love being a part of. So you should go join that group if you haven't already. Um, We'll be talking about the group, about her love of Tom's music and her her background with it, and she'll be answering my 
10 quickfire questions, among all sorts of other things that we will definitely be talking about. Um, so that episode's going to drop on February 9th. So please do tune in for that one. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at the Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can find me on YouTube. So follow, like, and subscribe as applicable. And again, if you haven't left a review yet or a rating, please do that. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you'd like to see or if there's things that you think I should drop. Give me some feedback. I love responding to all your your questions and your feedback on social media. Uh, and I always try to respond to every question or every comment I get. And as a reminder, uh, the Tom Petty Project is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. Um, and when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel first to try to find what you're looking for. You should also check um, TomPetty.com and go browse some of the fantastic merch that's on offer on the uh, on the site through the store. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week with a special two-part episode release of my conversation with the very talented and very lovely Jake Thistle. Bye-bye.